Welcome, friends, to the Rift Enlightenment Within the Divide. I'm your host, Sam Denning. This week, we're joined again with Steve Casey. I thought it went so well the last go-round that it uh, felt like we were dancing on here talking. Um, this week, I thought we would somewhat discuss a documentary that's on Netflix. It's fairly new. It's called The Social Dilemma. I watched it uh, this weekend. I encouraged Steve to, and uh, he did. And we are going to talk about it and talk about our thoughts. So everybody, enjoy. All right, Steve, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you. Uh, you are a going to become a cult favorite here on the show. I doubt that. But uh, truth be told, I enjoy talking with you. I think we're both, you know, in, in the same sort of camp on a lot of our thoughts, and it's easy to talk. Like I said uh, in the intro, it felt like we were dancing last time. It was such a fun conversation, and we hit on a lot of different topics. Oh, yeah, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I got more political than I wanted my listeners to know I am, but uh, that's the kind of world we live in when I have to be scared to death of my actual thoughts. <laughs> I imagine it was a bit liberating to get it out there. Yeah, it was, was a little bit liberating, and I hope that, uh, well, I don't really care if it offended anybody listening. So Good. this week we're going to touch on The Social Dilemma, which you watched, right? Yes, sir. I appreciate it. Not everybody always takes my advice on, you know, movies and documentaries to watch, but I thought this one was kind of important. Mm-hmm. I um, agree. Yeah, in, in, in the movie, the title, you know, it's called The Social Dilemma, and it addresses social media uh, and the internet and how it is affecting humanity. Huge topic in our times. Yeah, huge topic. and. At one point at the beginning, this guy named Tristan Harris, who's the narrator, and uh, he has started a group that is trying to make, you know, uh, more social media have ethics in the way that they design their apps. But he posed to a lot of other previous and current, you know, Facebook, Uber, Snapchat. Um, executives and engineers, people that basically wrote the code that is what we see and know. He asked them all at the beginning, you know, we all kind of agree that there is something wrong. You know, there's just something feels off, you know. Uh, What is the problem? And every one of them, am I right? Every one of them could not formulate it into words. Yeah, it's uh, one of those things where the problem is just so deep. It's like, where do you start? Yeah. Exactly. And like everything, and, 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 you know, it gets brought up that everything that they did, especially at the beginning with Facebook in particular, because it's one of the, you know, pioneers, they did because they thought this is cool. It would pe- keep people connected. They didn't have quite the idea of we're doing this specifically to make people want to stay on Facebook. They just thought, oh, you can click the like button. Well, then it got to the point where I guess we're all such narcissists or becoming that way that we wanted to know who liked us and how many likes we got on a picture. And therein lies where people, I think, began to get addicted to it. They needed to see how other people were interacting with their Facebook pages, to use Facebook as an example. Well, if you, if you 
imagine you're a teenage girl and you post a selfie where you're being all cute and you got all these filters on and you're in this really cool place. Every, every hundred likes or so that's a dopamine hit because that's just telling you like, wow, 250 people thought that I was gorgeous in this picture. And that's just going to encourage them to go even further. And especially in the case of teenagers, again, um, they haven't really learned the value of moderation just yet, you know, uh, and that's, I think that's a, a big part of why alcohol, for example, and cigarettes are banned to, to people who are well now under 21. Uh, not too long ago, it was alcohol under 21 is banned and under 18 uh, for tobacco. But uh, in, anyway, um, they, they haven't really learned this concept of the value of moderation, uh, how to temper themselves. And then that's whenever you get somebody who ties their entire self-worth and ego to how many likes they get on Instagram. And I don't even have Instagram, so I don't really know how it works. But I imagine it can't be too different from Facebook because, you know, after Facebook aped MySpace and then kind of developed its own way, everything else just kind of aped Facebook. Yeah, this is kind of a flashback word, and they and they didn't really touch on this in the documentary. But do you remember when Facebook first started? I was in college, was I? Um, and um, back then you needed a college email. I, yeah, you needed well, you needed very specific college emails because when I first was on it, Marshall wasn't on it. There oh, was okay. there was nobody for Marshall on Facebook. There was um, so all of the real big institutions, there was maybe, maybe 50 and you would scroll down on the thing and, you know, and after a year or two, then Marshall got on there. Next thing you know, there were high schools. I mean, do you remember that you actually got on there based on your high school and you got on there based on where your college was. That was how you got on to Facebook. It was through, you might not be old enough, but, and you are just a couple years. That's how quickly this stuff changes. Yeah. So like, you couldn't just go sign up for Facebook. You had to literally be, in my case, a Virginia Tech student with a vt.edu email. And if you were in high school, you had to have a high school email eventually. So at, at that time, people were saying, you know, no, this shouldn't be, you know, this is kind of crazy. Um, and I've had some events happen in my life where I kind of was into Facebook before a like button. And then, you know, I kind I got into some trouble and I vanished for several years um, and I come back and it has consumed everybody. So I have a, a very interesting view on it, but it, it changed that quickly. Um, so I'm not so caught up in it. Um, as I'm a matter of fact, I'm not on Facebook at the moment and I have several brothers that I like to think are kind of successful that are so are not on it. But where, what I'm coming up, uh, on this is they definitely touched on the younger age people on this. And like you said, they don't have, uh, you know, they don't have any way to gauge moderation. They don't have, but none, none of us apparently can. So we are all drawn. And that's the, the point of this documentary. We are all drawn to our phones. And our question is, are we drawn to our phones because we're actually drawn to it or are our phones and not just phones, but the devices that house these, um, social media apps, are they engaging us into wanting to know what's in there? And that's where, and we can talk about that, that's where the kind of nefariousness of this 
begins. So at first it was all innocent. Innocent. Yeah. Then it got to the point where, hey, and one of the guys used, that was on there, I don't, I don't remember his name, but he was the director of monetization for um, Facebook. Remember? Yeah. His job was to how can we use this stuff that we have to make money for Facebook? Right. Yeah. And so the most obvious reason is, well, ad revenue. The Google approach. Yep, the Google approach. Well, how we need to track how long people are on Facebook or how long they're on Snapchat or how long they're on whatever. I mean, there's cell phone games, you know, that we all download and they're keeping track of how long we're actually interacting and engaging in those games. And then they can turn around and sell that to advertisers with a guarantee, basically, that, hey, Steve Casey, he's on Facebook two hours a day from this hour to this hour. And Sam Denning, he's on, you know, Snapchat from intermittently every 30 minutes for five minutes at a time, you know, so it became, let's draw them onto these apps. Yeah. And I, I think it was really interesting how they explained how it all worked. It, the way that the guy was explaining on the uh, documentary, it started off just as uh, the like button, which um, <clears throat> I actually do remember whenever the, the like button was introduced on Facebook, you know, so you could make a post and somebody sh- could click the little thumb and like it. And it was just kind of a way, uh, the way that the uh, programmer explained, it was just a way for people to simply engage and say, Hey, I like this or, Hey, I acknowledge it or something like that. And that, that's how we saw it back then. Um, and then obviously they had to monetize it because a business is a business and a business has to make money. And so they went with the Google approach as we just talked about. And, um, it, it, it was really interesting to me how the like button and engagement metrics and algorithms all kind of evolved just from the like button to where, okay, so you liked this photograph. Uh, our AI picks up that it's uh, at, uh, like there there's an ocean in the background. So you must like beaches. So now we're going to tailor some, hotel advertisements to you near a beach or like uh, restaurants near a beach that maybe you want to go to. Mm-hmm. And, and then it, it's interesting. It becomes a feedback loop, you know, cause at first, you know, it starts off just by, Oh, Sam went to Myrtle beach, AKA West Virginia beach. And uh, he took a picture with his two boys and wife in front of the ocean. I see that and I'm like, oh, wow, that's a nice picture. I love the beach. I'm going to go ahead and click like on that. And then the the algorithm, you know, the algorithms are so fascinating these days. Like they can practically generate an entire image out of just past images that they have compiled. And so it it recognizes the DNA, like the the um, the binary DNA of this is a beach photo. You know, this is a Mm -hmm. horizon of a beach. And then it's like Steve Casey liked this horizon of a beach. So, uh, okay, well, how can we use that? We're going to sell this fact to uh, hotels.com. And then hotels.com is going to pop up in my news feed. Uh, You know, just the thing where you scroll down. I always use Facebook on my iPhone. Uh, and it's going to pop up in my news feed saying great deals on a hotel at Virginia beach or Myrtle beach or Orlando, Florida or something like that. And as, as low as one Oh two a night, 
click here to for more information. I I'm like, maybe at that time I'm thinking, hey, that sounds like a pretty good deal. I've been wanting to go on a vacation. I click on it, and then Facebook recognizes that I engage their ad. Uh, so the value of my um my viewing time goes up. So therefore, more companies that have an interest in beach related activities are going to want to buy me, so to speak. Yeah. And that's where, you know, you're getting a little further down, down the line on this, but that's where more of the, it, there's a couple things in this that I take to be almost totally evil. Um, yeah. I'm just and, going into yeah, how you're going it works. Into, yeah. Well, the mundane we, side. Well, I think we need to step yeah. back a, li- a little bit because enough, yeah. the, um, when they first had the like button and then I, I, which was actually after they had the status, which now has become naming any sort of social justice thing you want to put down someone's throat as your status. But oh back when God. it first came out, and I don't know if you remember this, but it literally people put, I'm away from my computer. I am out to dinner. It was their actual status, and people joked about it, and I used to... You remember? Uh, That's what your status was. It was, what are you doing, and why is that? Okay, so this is the progression, and this is why... This is, in my opinion, the the, the point of the whole thing. Back then, you accessed Facebook, and so we're using Facebook specifically because this is where it all kind of started. When you sat down at your laptop, or you sat down at your desktop, right? Yeah, back then there weren't apps. And you did want to find out who liked your photo. Okay. So you would sit down periodically, say you're a college student, you'd go to study and you would keep going back to the Facebook page. How many likes did that photo get? Who, who, you know what I mean? Um, but you didn't have that much FaceTime on it. When you get into like, what I mean by FaceTime is actual looking at it where this makes leaps into changing humanity is when our devices became more mobile and they, they ended up being in our pockets. Yeah. We carry and computers around in our pockets. And that's so. where they've become more and more. They want Facebook is not necessarily doesn't care. Well, I'm sure they care what you click on, but they want you on Facebook. Yes. So they began to use push notifications. So like we were talking about, when you liked something, it wasn't that you would sit down at your desktop. So we're flashing forward like 10 years. Not that you're going to sit down at your desktop or laptop and see who all liked you. Your phone literally buzzed and said, your photo's gotten two likes. Your photo's got, I mean, it makes you, enge- it literally goes from being something that's electronic to a physical reminder. What What's interesting to me, like I, I know that you don't have Facebook now, I do, um, is that and what reminds me of this is actually the kind of corny skits that they had uh, where they were just kind of showing like the AI personified mm-hmm. and don't get me wrong. They were corny as can be, yeah, but they were so true, but they <laughs> were a great way to kind of make it understandable to a layman how these AIs and algorithms think and work. But um, I digress. Uh, the push notifications now it will like if let's say you have five people like a post, right? It will pick one person. Say let's say Sam Denning and four others liked your post. You want to know who they are? Well, n- not just that, but it makes you wonder why did it specifically choose Sam Denning instead of one of those th- four other people, right? And I, I think a lot of that has to do with and that 
I know this is where something we're going to hit on later, mm-hmm. but the echo chamber effect uh, that social media creates by way of algorithm and by way of monitoring what it is that you like and spend yeah. time viewing. Well, which is why, um, for the people listening to this conversation, which is why what I'm leading into is so important. None of the algorithms that show you anything on Facebook or any of these advertisements, they don't matter if your eyes don't see the advertisements. So it's very important that your eyes are on that app. That's what this is all about. So um, what I'm trying to describe here is how are they gluing you back to Facebook? How are they keeping you on Facebook? And I kind of took that to mean that was the, the real dilemma behind this. It wasn't necessarily what's being sold to you, although that's a, a horrible outcome. It's but, an onion. There's yeah, so many layers. But the it. dilemma of it all is that these tech companies – are driven by trying to actively, where it used to be passively, but now actively through push notifications, through, like Steve has said, referencing you in those push notifications for people that they know that you may have more mutual friends in common than the other, and that's the name of the person that you see liked you, you know what I mean? Things like that. Well, they need your time more on there, and then they sell your time to these companies, and then it gets very, very nefarious because these companies can sway you because obviously they are trying to convince you to change your mind. You yeah. may, you may, and they touch on this in, in the, in the, in the documentary, but it's not necessarily that they're trying to tell you exactly what you want to hear, but they're trying to mold it into buying that product that you would not have otherwise ever, ever even thought about buying. And sometimes that product is not necessarily something physical. It's an ideology or a, certain just an ideology a certain belief so i think that's why in this country we're becoming more and more polarized because like steve has said and i'm kind of making a leap here but we're being sold the things that we like so they may know that i'm a conservative and every time i get on youtube which is another form of social media or every i'm not on facebook but you know all the stuff on my feed is related to the things i i like to watch therefore unless i actively seek it out I'm not going to get any other truth. And this is where this will get go way down the rabbit hole. And Steve was saying that too, and he can talk more about that's how I'm, I'm hitting it broader, but that's how they suck you in. That's how the advertisers get you. That's how they get you to keep clicking on things. They don't care whether you're buying it or not. Like YouTube doesn't care if you're buying that product or not. They just like that you keep clicking what's on the news feed because the longer you keep clicking those things, the longer you're on YouTube. <laughs> you yes. see what I'm saying? That is the problem. So they want to just keep you there. They don't care if it's uh, turning you into a terrorist or they don't care. And that's the ethical part of this that the guy that started this is bringing up. They don't care what is happening to us in the pursuit of making money for them. Um, what do you think about that, Steve? And then you can hop right back on what I was saying about swaying people to buy things and how that's made us polarized. There's actually a few things that were popping up in my head, but obviously this is your show. I didn't want to interrupt you. No, you yeah, lay them out. <laughs> uh, the first one, like I, I just want to, travel back a little bit and to where you were talking about how it used to be that uh, you would type, I'm away from my computer. I'm eating. Here's my food, whatever. Uh, we used to make jokes that like, what can you do with Twitter? It's 150 characters. And then we 
we would joke that uh, we would make a Twitter account called Dump Dates, where you, we would talk <laughs> about going to the bathroom or something stupid like that. Um, That'd go well on the Denning family. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then the next point that you were talking about how it's like uh, you like something and then you see something else that goes back to what I was saying about the feedback loop. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> that's like, what I was wanting you to touch on this. Cause I was wanting to kind of get that seed planted and then you can go down. So yes, the, the feedback loop is what really fascinates me. Um, because you know, uh, let's say that, uh, you're an impressionable 13 year old kid and you want to learn uh, how it is that people concluded that the earth is round. Uh, so you look up uh, round earth versus flat earth or something, just type in a search term because that's how, how you've learned how your Google foo works in your own head. And then it, it spits some options back at you. And then one of them says the truth, the earth is flat. And then it shows you some video with uh undeniable evidence that the earth is flat. And then some crackpot goes on and explains, oh, whenever you're up in a plane, you think you see the curvature of the earth, but they, they just shape the windows a certain way so it looks curved. Look while you're on the ground and you'll see that a blade of grass is curved in a certain way. And it's all a bunch of crap. Um... <laughs> I always remember the joke that uh, people like to troll flat earthers with is uh, if the earth is flat and uh, Antarctica is just a wall of ice blocking everything in, then why is it that uh, cats haven't knocked everything off of the earth yet? <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, it starts off with something real small, real simple. And then like maybe, maybe this impressionable 13 year old thinks, wow, I never thought of it that way. And they click on a like, oh, well, what have they told the AI? What have they told the algorithm? They've told, okay, this person likes content similar to this. So we're going to look for bits of uh, tags and other things that tickles the algorithm's pickle. Mm -hmm. And it, it's going to pop up in their feed and they're going to see something else similar. And then they're going to click on that. And yeah, the next thing you know, you've got a 13 year old girl or boy or whatever that uh, believes the earth's flat. Yes. And that's where um, the real dilemma also is with this. Like, you, you know, we've talked about there's multiple dilemmas. ton of them. And it all starts with the fact that they're, they need to change their monetization structure to try to not make people, you know, so engaged in it so that they're not caught up in it. And then the other one is, is these, how these advertisements that they don't really care what they are. They just want the people on there. And so to keep the person on there, they keep feeding them more and more of the same stuff. So they keep clicking it and going down the rabbit hole. And these feedback loops, well, we are millennials. And I would say that millennials and older. The oldest of the millennials in particular. Yeah, the oldest of the millennials and older. Like even I'm a millennial and you're a millennial and our experiences with Facebook at the beginning are different. You know, that's how quickly the stuff changes. But we're grounded at least in a, in a world without social media, like there was maybe technology, um, but social media being our everyday life. And so, you know, you take our age and you go older now. Yes. Are we still addicted to it? I'd say, yeah. I mean, I, I constantly look at my phone. Uh, I probably don't as much as others, but 
there's probably plenty of people that look at it less than me, but yeah, I'm drawn to look at it. want to know what people think about me, what people think about this podcast. I want to know, you know what I mean? It's just, it's nature. It's, 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 it's in our psyche. Well, I think, and they bring this up in the, in the documentary, but we're at like a hinge point in humanity where we're going to die off. And the kids, like you're saying, these 13 year olds that are very, very impressionable, they don't know any different. That's all they know. And that's where whoever controls the truth. And and they point this out. They point this out in the social dilemma. And I've mentioned it in some, some of my podcasts. I've mentioned it with you. We always keep talking about their reality. Well, what they bring up very, very well is that each individual has their own reality because of this. You know, we think they are being fed. Each person is being fed on their device through social media and the advertisements on it, their own world. And that's what I was talking about in the beginning of our little cast here is that echo chamber effect that we're, uh, we were going to jump into, but I'd Mm -hmm. like to, to rewind just a little bit and go back and go back to the uh, feedback loop uh, concept, you know, um, th- this feedback loop concept, it can, that's where the banality of evil comes in because you said they need to um, change how they monetize this. They need to find, to implement some way to make it so that people aren't as obsessively engaged as they are now and they need to find some way to make it so that they get a greater variety of content something that's a little bit more realistic and not just shaped to them but the fact is they need to double down on what they're doing because as a business their job is to make profits and this is making them profits hand over fist Mm -hmm. and that's one of the other dilemmas because what needs to happen a nebulous term what needs to happen is what you said that there needs to be some way to to moderate this this feedback loop there needs to be a a, a way to keep diversity of thought um within well there just needs to be another way that they can all agree on to monetize monetize it make money a different way yeah, that would be perfect um, yeah, if and, they can. Yeah, if they can, and or or to continue to do it the way they are doing it, and that's why this guy Tristan Harris has started this company, but do it ethically, actually have standards, um, like they would do when you say that the chickens were raised ethically, uh, when you say that the, um, your cosmetics were, you know, the the animals used to produce your cosmetics were treated ethically. Well, why are we as the human beings that are the product of these technology companies, why are we not being treated ethically? Well, nobody cares about human beings. That's the point of the whole entire thing. Yeah. That is that it's, we can't see it. It's too, that's why nobody can put words to it because we have to step back and look at it because we're in it. Yeah, as that, opposed to, oh, that animal's getting treated like crap. Does anybody ever think about Nobody can step back and say, oh, my God, we're treating all of our people like crap. But, yes. Yeah, and, and that's what's, you know, so crazy. And, and back to what I was saying earlier, because I'm what, trying what, to get the momentum from keeping, you know, we're at a point in history where people don't know the difference. Yeah, what you just touched on, that's the core of the onion. 
Yeah, it's like, the core of it. The, the, this social dilemma is a very thick onion. There's so many layers. There's so many dilemmas. You peel each one back, each one back. And at the core of it is the fact that we care more about profits than we care about people. Mm-hmm. And that that is the core of the problem. And that is the core of many, many problems. Yeah. So... Yeah, it's interesting that we're jumping around to different layers. Yeah, and this might be hard for people to follow because of that. And Steve told me, and I should write an outline, but I'm just not going to do that. (laughs) But the um, that's the you can figure out other ways to monetize something. You know, let's let's just think. But who knows how they would do it? I'm not a tech person. It would be complicated. They'd have to write their algorithms differently. It'd be like suddenly, you know people only smoking cigarettes and the next thing you know, that's bad for your lungs. So what are we going to do? We'll make chewing tobacco now with our tobacco. You yeah, know what I mean? And then we'll give you a mouth cancer. Yeah. And we'll give you mouth cancer. cancer. So it may morph into something, you know, it's just going to, but we have to nip it in the butt now. Like I said, because we get back flashback to what I was saying. As we die off, the people that actually do know the difference and have somewhat, even though we're still getting caught up in it, somewhat of an idea of what truth is. If we're gone and this hasn't been addressed, it's going to be, con- it's like they say, and it's checkmate humanity. No one has agreed upon truth. No one. Yes. You know, you and I, Steve, we think very similarly. But when we go and we get into our iPhones and we start reading whatever you're on Facebook, I scroll through YouTube watching videos, we still have totally different things that pop up on our screen. Our Our realities, although they're very similar, they're not. There is no unifying truth, so to speak. I mean, I think we do have a broad truth, but the the point that they're trying to say is each individual person has their own little planetary system that they're living within. Um, well, one thing that I want to uh, point out, like I want to stop you right there just because uh, you brought something up that made me have a thought. Um, you say that <clears throat> you and I think pretty similarly but uh, our algorithms might match us up with uh, different types of content um, and that might shape our realities a little bit differently. But um, I think that with, at least in our particular case, it's not entirely how it is because um, we were a couple of university alumni. Yeah, and we talk to each other. And we talk to each other. Well, there's that, yeah. That's the key. <laughs> but no, it, there's more than that. Uh, it, it comes down to critical thinking. Uh, I don't know how universities teach their students today uh, exactly. But I know that when I was in university, even my non-major teachers, like uh, I had a science course and I was not a science major. Obviously, you have to take some non-major things for the Marshall Plan or whatever they call it. Um, and he... He said that the one thing that he wanted us to take out of his class didn't matter whether we learned the science side of it or not, but he said he wanted us to learn how to think critically. And that was Dr. Shank. And I, I I never forgot that quote. It's been like 12 years ago that he said this and I, I never forgot it. And I've reiterated it whenever I was teaching my own courses over in China, uh, because I wanted to prepare the, the Chinese kids to, uh, flourish in a Western school system. And I told them like, you know, uh, at least when I was going to school, robotic uh, memorization and rote memory were not nearly as valuable as the ability to think critically and to put, to demonstrate that you learned the material and internalized it. 
uh, by way of, you know, a proper essay or report, because we do a lot more essays and reports, whereas they do a lot more ABCD multiple choice tests. Um, so that, that, that was just kind of one example and why it is that I think that Chinese have a tendency to profit more off of uh, stealing IP than creating IP is because uh, their school system absolutely crushes their soul. And I, I feel awful for those kids. But that, that's completely beside the point. Uh, getting back to where we were at before. Yeah, I think the point is, is those professors are in that elderly group of people that are no longer going to be with us. And we're not going to have people that think like that teaching. It, it, it's a, it's all of humanity. You're right. Like it's not, yeah, I was taught well and I'll probably do it okay, but we're losing between our generation and the people that are being raised on social media what you're just telling me is, is an artifact. So like we can't base anything off of that being a truth in the future. I, I know. Yeah. And that's so the that's thing. the scary thing. So where this thing goes to, cause we, uh, we kind of have to do a shorter podcast this week. Cause I got to pick up my son from school, but, um, with these advertisers, you know, they're going to sell the ad space to the highest bidder. Right. Yes. Um, and like I have, I brought up earlier and Steve's mentioned the feedback loops. Um, you know, you can get somebody, you can sell someone or persuade someone to change even their belief system. If, if all you keep feeding them is the same stuff, slowly changing it. Yes. Very gradually introducing yeah. new, little new, things. new little things come up and, um, you, you can fund a revolution you know, you can be like the United States and say, I want to spend a little bit of money over in, you know, uh, Egypt and start a revolution over there, get everybody all worked up. So basically when you want, and it happens and it has happened and it's happening the spring is what here. You're about. I mean, it, it, but I don't think it needs much prodding in the U S you know, people are already kind of tribal at the moment and it makes you come to terms with, you know, I'm very conservative, uh, makes me wonder, you know, I want to get upset at some of the people that don't have the same beliefs as me, but at the same time, it makes me step back and say, maybe there's a bigger reason why neither one of us see eye to eye. And it's because there is no universal truth. There is something that's true out there, but it's a lot harder to find when you're being force fed fake news, fake fake news on yeah. both both sides but you've mentioned it before I, I i agree with you i think that you know more the conservative news is quite a little bit less fake um or at least it has some semblance of uh um making sense well right now the especially right now uh there is a lot more uh there's a lot more of a stake in conservatives being honest and liberals being dishonest because um yeah conservatives are maybe technically in power but we have essentially lost the uh, culture war and we're now uh the insurgency so to speak in the culture war uh, in the cold civil war we are the insurgents we've lost and they're trying to wipe us out um and, and so they have to craft this reality where we are the absolute bad guy and they can do this. <clears throat> the, the, the best lives have truth baked somewhere in between. Uh, and then that comes down to the ultimate example of this is the Nick Sandman. Uh, 
situation. Uh, for anybody who is living under a rock and doesn't know who Nick Salmon is, uh, he is one of the kids from the Covington High School uh, who was in Washington, D.C. I believe he was protesting abortion or something uh, with, his, with his fellow Catholic students. Uh, and he was wearing a MAGA hat, you know, and all these liberal news sites showed video of him standing there smugly smiling at, uh, at a Native American fellow who uh, was a Vietnam War veteran and all this stuff, just uh, banging his drum and singing one of his songs. And, um, every, and then you would see grown adults saying, I want to punch this kid in the face and choke him to death and just awful, awful things like that. And I, I remember when it happened, I, I, one of my liberal friends posted on Facebook, like, doesn't this kid just have the most punchable face in the world? And I'm like, and I saw that he had a MAGA hat on and this was back, you know, at, at a time, well, actually it hasn't ended, but at a time whenever uh, the liberal media was just trying desperately to instigate a coup and oust our president, um, which has been constant ever since his inauguration. But Hey, I'm glad that we're swinging this thing back into the, <laughs> the political arena here. Yeah, but anyway, anyway, uh, they, they, what they did was they chopped off a lot of context. They, they manipulated the video to make him look like a smug little jerk. But then whenever you watch the whole thing, the whole script flips. Everything that they said was not true. Uh, mm -hmm. Well, here, here's though what the flip side of that. Now you, you need to watch the whole thing, but how many people in their browsing on YouTube um, are going to watch the whole thing? Now we might very few. Yeah, and and that comes down to critical thinking. Yeah, my first reaction was, okay, what's the whole story? We're not even well, definitely critical thinking, but not even that. Just time constraints. Ah, I don't care enough. It's not that big. It doesn't really impact me that much. I'll just watch this little snippet. See what I'm saying? So let's yeah. say let's say your news feed is 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 or your your YouTube video feed, so to speak, is you're a, a more liberal pro, like progressive person, and it's feeding you that kind of stuff, and that's not something that they're watching all the time, but it does show up there. They click on that short thing. They move on. They click on some more. That's their reality. That Nick, And they may still believe, even though Nicholas Sandman is winning these suits and getting the money from CNN, you know, for slander. They, there are probably millions of people that still believe the initial showing. Yes. And and, and, and that is a that's a product of what we're this social dilemma. And that is a not only a product of that, but it's also a product of uh, liberal news sources feeding into that. Yes, because they're not gonna it, it it it's polarizing this whole thing because also these news sources are getting monetized because they get put up also on YouTube and Facebook and when people click them they get money. Yep. So Everyone in the equation is, um, they're going to try to get, to be more and more polarized and more and more extreme, both sides. Yes. And so, you know, like they say, this, ha this problem, ha there has to be some sort of fix. Uh, it, it almost needs to implode. Yeah. Um, but, but like you and I've said many times, and we'll probably end it on this, I hate to be so doom and gloom but it's almost like this is going to burst out into a war because people it people are too 
divided. Divided. And it's they're divided. After watching this social dilemma, I think that, you know, we we would have we would be divided anyway, but I think we are being stoked. And it's all in the name of profits. Yeah. And I don't think that the the big tech companies care which direction we're being stoked. Our stoking and our division is all it's doing is getting more more eyes on the devices for longer. That's all that they care about. And that's the banality of evil. Yeah. Right. People are profiting off of the downfall. So of if society. if you and and you know hopefully you agree with me with this on Steve, we'll end it on this note. But if you haven't watched the social dilemma and you were able to make it through this um, pretty interesting conversation it may have been a little bit scattered but i think anybody that's been on social media knows everything we were talking about everybody has thought the same thoughts they've just not been able to put it into words everybody knows something is underneath all this that's wrong yes so if you haven't watched the social dilemma i would encourage you to watch it watch it with an open mind yeah watch it with an open mind don't go into it saying oh they're going after conservatives or oh it's only liberals or oh it's whatever just watch it and be honest with yourself and, you know, comment, comment on the, on the podcast and maybe we can follow up and, and we can talk, I can talk with you about it, uh, working on possibly getting another mic so we can add a, another, another voice to the thing, Steve, That'd how'd you great. like that? Okay. And, uh, for those listening, if you've made it this far, I think Steve's going to be a fairly regular guest. Uh, I'd like to try to keep him on here at least once every couple months and if not more frequently than that and 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 we may even start our own little podcast ourselves um and that's that's about it for now you know uh steve thanks for coming Mm -hmm. thanks for talking about it and i just really the whole point of this is to get people's gears turning and to enlighten them and hopefully if you haven't seen it go watch the social dilemma Generations use their minds to hollow out the stones. This will be our little seed. Cross your heart and hope to die today. Time will pass by. your heart and hope to die today. Time will pass by and we can be gone within the blink of an eye. We can hold each other in the eye of the storm. We will be
of nature like a wet weekend This will be our little secret I'm a rock of ages like a sad old man This will be our little secret today Hold it to 